Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon and, well, 60 seconds, but uh, we are here at Life with Gwen, and we are going to talk about something today that has passion and intrigue and, and starving artists, and uh, maybe not in this particular one, but often swordplay. So if you are one of those people who says, oh no, the opera is not for me, it just might be, and we're here to talk about Cape Cod's, uh, uh, the Opera Theater of Cape Cod. It's uh, pretty new, and we're here with its conductor and co-founder, uh, Joe and uh, Joe Turbessi. Yep. And uh, well, this is your second performance. Uh, the the, sh the troupe is doing its second performance this year, right? Yep. Uh, we were founded last year, and we did our first show was The Tragedy of Carmen last year. And this year, uh, we're presenting Lab OM, and this is our, our second show, as you said. And when is that? Because it's coming up. Yeah, it's going to be, it's this weekend, Friday and Saturday, 7.30 p.m. at Cape Cod Community College in the Tilden's Art Center. Great. And uh, and you have sets that I understand have been done by the art department at uh uh, or the theater department yeah. at uh, Cape Cod Community College. We have, and that's uh, uh, that's a step up for us from last year. We had a very basic set last year, but this year we actually had a designer come in and uh, put the whole set together. So we're we're really excited about that. Um, and yeah, it's just been it's been a neat process starting this company and starting to make connections out on the Cape and uh, figuring out how to uh, put all these parts together. There's a lot to do. Well, you know, I, I know that uh, the Cape did have an opera company for a while, but then that closed. Um, and you're coming in here. Tell me, why the Cape? What what drew you to the Cape and uh, with this kind of music? Um, so a couple of different things. The first is just that the Cape is such a magical place. There's something about it, and there's just, I think the art, the arts and the Cape just go together very naturally. And we were rather surprised that there was no existing opera company on Cape Cod. Uh, opera Cape Cod was a, a group that was around for quite some time, and they uh, they closed about five years ago or so. Um, and it just seemed like something that seemed like a really natural fit together. You know, there's so much music and musical theater and other kinds of arts out here, so we, we thought it would be a nice way to build on what's already out here. And um, from what you were telling me before, you're looking to become an even bigger part of this community. So if any of you out there are secretly singing opera, um, and definitely, whether you think you want to or not, consider, keep an open mind about the performances. Um, I have to tell you, I ended up liking opera because I loved a guy who loved opera. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to impress him, so <laughs> I put on my fancy clothes and and uh, went with him to the to the Metropolitan Opera in New York, um, and made it uh, really did learn to like opera, except for this one piece by Mozart where it was like men pretending to be women pretending to be men, <laughs> and I said to my husband, um, "I will meet you, enjoy the second act. I will meet you across the street at the bar." <laughs> And he said, now I'm coming. <laughs> so I, I kind of bring this up because it seems to me that some operas are much more accessible than others. Yeah. I would, Not that one. I would, I would agree. Um, a, big part, a big part of why we chose Lab OM is because it's, um, it's very easily accessible, I think. Um, everyone likes different things, so it's hard to, 
it's hard to predict what's gonna click, you know. Mm. Um, but La Boheme was actually the first opera I ever saw when I was in my early 20s, um, and I was captivated by it. Um, I think the story is often familiar to people. The musical Rent is almost the same story as La Boheme. It's based very, very closely on La Boheme. Um, it's a very simple story, and it's one that's really, um, it's simple, but it's also meaningful and profound. Um, you know, boy meets girl, girl dies, and that's essentially it. Um, you know, there's other there's other stuff in the meantime, but it's it's deep. And by the end of the show, you've come to really come to relate to these characters, and it's really sad when she dies at the end. Like it's um, it's it's a deeply meaningful experience, and and um, it's it's powerful. I actually felt a little cheated when she didn't die at the end of Rent. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> you guys probably know, if there are any Rent heads out there, that uh, there's a miraculous recovery. Yes. And uh, I don't think we're sharing any big secrets because most people <laughs> know that these things end, uh, La yeah. Boheme ends. But it also has that sense of, uh, and I find that Puccini's music also has that sense of, of being free and, uh, and, and, you know, artist and starving artists, the mm, whole thing. So. Yeah. It's just, it's just rapturous music. That's the word I use a lot. It's, it's warm. Um, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a hug from a warm friend and it, um, it, he, Puccini was one of the greatest masters of, of writing these soaring, beautiful lines for the voice. Just everything, everything that's wonderful about opera, I think, comes out in, in Puccini's music. Um, and he's also, like, a lot of the things that people don't like up, about opera, he's also good at avoiding those things. Like, he's very good with pacing. Things happen, things happen quickly, things happen when they should. It doesn't feel like a character is lingering on stage longer than they should. Mm -hmm. um, he's very, very good with that aspect of opera, and not all composers are. Like, um, kind of like the Mozart that you were talking about. I'm a, I'm a big Mozart fan, I should say, but that's not. I wasn't discarding <laughs> all Mozart. Yeah, it was yeah. just this one particularly dense and and yeah. uh, very slow opera. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but you know, I I often think too that that. Uh, the people who haven't been to the opera in in years, mm -hmm. I'm talking decades, may not be seeing that big shift that we saw when um, when it went from being people just standing in in one place and and singing, mm -hmm. which was beautiful, but to to having more of an acting and interacting element. Mm -hmm. um, you, I I see that a lot now. You know, with with many of the operas. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so the the old style that you're referring to is sometimes called park and bark. So you you come out <laughs> park right, and yeah. bark. It's a it's a common musician's joke, but you come out, you and find we, your spot. We, I think we should apologize to all opera singers. <laughs> okay, now go they, on. They know what I'm talking about. Uh, so they they would you would come out, you would park, and then you would sing, and then you would leave, and that was essentially the the extent of the stagecraft. But I th you're exactly right in that. Um, Opera singers are now expected to have the acting chops of an actor. Right. Um, Before the acting was implied, mm -hmm. and you read about it in your program as yep. you followed the plot synopsis, but but then um, uh, the director's name is escaping me, but he did a televised version of... Um, you'll probably oh, Bergman. Know. No, uh, no is older than that. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, he did a televised version of Romeo and Juliet that was so incredibly overwhelmingly emotional uh -huh. that uh, it, I think it kind of set a standard, you know, for, for many of the newer operas. Yeah. 
and uh, and not not that I know a ton about opera. There is it's one of those worlds where you could spend your whole life and learn something new every yeah. day. Well, uh, I think I think opera. One of the things that I think is starting to happen is that opera, opera and musical theater are starting to come closer together in some ways. So, um, and I think it's been to the benefit of both art forms. So um, musical theater, for example, is known for having very strong acting and having you know very trained actors. So that I think to some extent has been bleeding over into opera. And opera is known for having people who are very technically facile and very, you know, in charge of their instrument and that kind of thing. And some of that has been bleeding over into musical theater as well. I think it's worth pointing out too that opera is really just the classical version of musical theater. It's just musical theater from, you know, uh, from from high art and from from the classical world. Um, and especially especially when you um, see it acted well and when you can understand the story I think you start to see that and you've brought us to a point that is very important um, I know that your company uh, does all of the operas in English is that right that's correct yeah so that's that's something I'm very passionate about because I think I think it's important I think it's important for the audience to be able to understand the action and the words as it's happening when Puccini wrote the opera in Italian, he was writing for Italians who spoke Italian. He didn't mm. write in a foreign language. And um, he would have expected it to be translated as it went around the world. Uh, in Paris, you would never hear an opera in anything except French. Wagner was done in French. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's been like for all time? Yeah. I mean, the French are and very still protective today? of their culture in that way. Um, but it's... Um, in in the United States in the early 20th century, there developed this attitude that opera has to always be done in the original language, um, and I think I think that's turned a lot of people off because it's you can't understand what's happening. Like you mm -hmm. can have a libretto or you can have supertitles, which helps to be sure, but there's something I found that there's something that's so much more immediate if you can understand what's happening and if you can follow the story because the story is not complicated. It's not. Um, you know, as I said, it's not some exalted, complex story. Um, and the language is actually pretty simple in the mm -hmm. language. It's very direct, straightforward language. And I think it's important to present that in a way that comes across as direct and simple. That's interesting. I, I was going to mention that, uh, if you don't mind, subtitles. Subtitles. Uh, I remember in New Bedford, they, they hosted the Moscow Opera. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were doing uh, Traviata. Yeah. And uh, they, they did it with... Uh, a screen on top of the, you know, on the top of the hanging from the stage, and and you could just read along if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah. So, but this will all be in English. So it's all in English. Yep. Yeah. And the theater, it's not a. Uh, this is the Black Box Theater mm -hmm. at Cape Cod Community College. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's yeah. <laughs> very intimate setting. Yeah, it's a very. Um, you'll have people. You know, you'll not be more than a few, you know, feet from the action, and um, it it it's a very. Yeah, it's a very intimate feel. It's a very personal feel. Um, it's not quite the same as going to the Met and having the enormous sets and uh, you know the the spectacle. That's not. We don't have the funds for that at this point. <laughs> but um, I would imagine that when uh, the opera singers are are singing, that that there's a um, almost a chill from that because there is something about the intimacy of that that physical close uh -huh, space. Uh -huh. That you don't get when you're when the um, performance is taking place on a big stage. Exactly. Yeah. Part of I think part of the pleasure of opera that 
is somewhat universal. It's just what these people, I don't know if we can see this, but these are Here, hold it up. our singers. Um, what they're able to do with their voices uh, is is magical. It's it's just an unbelievable skill. It's a, it's something like watching an Olympic athlete. Um, and I've been working with opera singers my whole life, and it still astounds me, and I still have no idea how they do it. I'm the conductor, but... Um, and it's it's just it's just amazing to see up close and so know. as a conductor you know what you're asking for yes. but what you're saying is that these amazingly talented people who can deliver that uh -huh. I, I I'm sort of joking um, but I yeah it's just there's something miraculous about the way um, that these people are able to sing and it's it's just it's just spectacular to watch when it all comes together now these folks are uh, actually not Cape Cotters. They're not. Um, so uh, I and my uh, founder colleagues are based primarily in Greater Boston. Mm -hmm. So our, our networks tend to be based in Greater Boston. Um, I'm a recent, well, not that recent anymore, but um, I graduated from Boston Conservatory mm -hmm. about 10 years ago. Less recent than I would like to think. Um, but <laughs> well, that's a decade, Joe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It, it's a forever. Um, <laughs> but a lot of these people are either from, uh, have either gone to Boston Conservatory or New England Conservatory. Um, some of them I've worked with through there and other programs around, um, around Boston. Um, we have a, a wide ranging age and cast. We have a, a number of young people. We have some older people um, and people at all different stages mm -hmm. of their career. So it's, it's neat to see all that come together. And I, when we were speaking before the show, uh, Joe mentioned to me that um, um, that the company here on Cape Cod was, you know, reaching out to, uh, for example, the Cape Cod Conservatory, and um, you know, to any of you who may have questions or or have operatic talents to uh, to bring the base even. Farther, yes, you know, or yes. closer rather to, to Cape Cod. I had forgotten to invite people to write, so I especially want to ask Cindy, uh, thanks Cindy, Cindy Farquhar, Jason, <laughs> who says, wow, I love that opera is being translated. I love to listen, but unfortunately understand little. Thanks, Cindy. I think you're not alone in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if anyone else has questions, please feel free to uh, type in on uh, Facebook Live and we will try to get those questions answered for you. I, um, I noticed uh, that, that the other thing with that sort of move towards realism uh -huh. in, in opera is, is that it seems to be a more diverse uh, group of singers than uh -huh. it has been in the past. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, it's, it's no longer just people who grew up on opera, but, but who discovered it, uh, its beauty and, and, and its technical demands yeah. early early on and and we're able to uh um i know that there were i was listening to an um uh, an interview with with a uh, a new tenor um um whose first name is joe and just like yours <laughs> and i'm having trouble with his last name but uh, but it is interesting to me that there seems to be a lot more diversity uh -huh. in the opera world yeah um and uh you'll see people from all kinds of musical backgrounds too like there's people who you know, went to conservatory. There's people who uh, studied musical theater and switched over. There's people who didn't even go to conservatory and just, you know, are trying it out for fun. Um, I, you know, my own background, like my 
parents love music, but they're not at all interested in classical music or opera. They listen to, uh, you know, the Beatles and rock and roll and mm -hmm. really. I, mean, I know that generation, oh, yeah, yeah. Joe. I, I, I figured. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all really good music, but, um, you know, I somehow got into classical music and um, that's, I just thought it was beautiful and wonderful and I wanted to do it. Um, do you remember how? Was it, was there yeah, a, a watershed <laughs> moment for you? Um, so my mom signed me up for piano when I was in second grade and it wasn't my decision and um, it was a very random thing. Like she just kind of did it because she thought it would be good for me and it was like, fine, whatever, I'll do it. And <clears throat> uh, I got our allergies. Yeah, so many. I got to the lesson and I just was, I loved it. And yeah, I took to it like a fish to water. So, so to the piano, and then also, uh, you know, did you go from Twinkle Twinkle Little Star right into, you know, uh, classical <laughs> stuff? <laughs> I went, I went pretty fast. I was doing Mozart by the end of uh, the first year, or so um, I was, you know, I was very pretentious and all that. But, um, yeah. but you make <laughs> that point. But the truth is that um, with mo with the movement to be more accessible, um, opera, I think, is is not nearly. Oh, I, I'm going to get in trouble with all of you if I say this, but there might have been a time when opera was a little pretentious and was oh, something yeah, yeah. you were supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And and now it's something, not always, but it's often something now where you can go and and feel the way you would at a movie or or um, in a musical um, theater piece. Mm -hmm. And you know, now that you mention it, I I noticed too that musical theater has gotten away from that. Oh, I'm gonna sing now. It used to be that little look uh -huh. just before they they belted out the number. Uh -huh. It's much smoother and much more um, yeah. organic. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, Rent. You know, Rent is um, essentially a you know a rock opera because it's sung throughout the entire way, just mm -hmm. like an opera. And there are operas. Um, this isn't widely known, but Magic Flute, for example, where there's spoken dialogue in between singing. So some operas look like, you know, where someone is walking along and then they're like, and now I'm going to sing, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Although I sort of think of operetta once I get, once you get, you know, I've, I've never really known about Magic Flute. Um, and and it, it feels when I hear it done more like uh, like an operetta, you know. Yeah. Magic Flute is kind of a weird animal. It kind of is between those two. And it's in English. Yeah. Written in English, uh, right? It's in, it's in German. Oh, it's, okay. It's often done. In I English. saw it in English. Yeah. <laughs> So, it um, tell me a little bit about your audience for last year's show. Mm -hmm. I know this is only your second show, but um, did you get a mix of ages and and should people feel free to bring the kids and? Um, yeah, we it's open to anyone of all ages. Um, we I think our audience last year skewed older, which is pretty standard for opera and uh, classical music. Um, and that's that's completely fine. Um, I think I'd, I'd like to think that there's something about opera and about really good art and good music that can appeal to a lot of different people. So you know, certainly come and try it out. We were we were um, we were absolutely floored by our turnout last year. We sold out both of our performances. Mm -hmm. And in the so there's obviously a hunger. Yeah, and you know, there's in the classical world, it's rare to sell out stuff. Um, uh, we get used to I. I most of my life is in Boston, and I get used to seeing houses that are maybe a quarter full, and that's kind of standard. Um, so to kind harder of, to play to too. Yeah, it's the energy. it doesn't sound right. Yeah, 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 it, it, yeah exactly right. Um, 
so it was we were just really touched and and uh, excited by the by the turnout we had last year and uh we did a preview show of this last week in Wellfleet and we we sold that out too and Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, it's it's thrilling. We're really happy with the reception we've had. Well, I have to say that although it's it's a different kind of music, the uh, Cape Symphony has been working, and particularly their conductor has been really committed to um, bringing classical music into the schools, and they play it each morning on the um, intercom. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so, and you had said that you were committed to finding a way to incorporate younger people here on the Cape uh -huh. um, who, who might be interested either in making or simply enjoying the music. Mm -hmm. So we'll be looking forward to what you guys are doing with opera in the in the future. Okay, so now we've really put them on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> we want to raise children who are not afraid of the opera. Yeah. So um, are there points in, in this particular show that you're especially proud of or especially moved by? Um, yeah, there's... Uh, so I, I do have to single out our Mimi, Sarah Cooper. She's the, the young woman at, well, she's the young Which woman one? at the bottom. Okay. Uh, she's our Mimi, so she's the star. And she's uh, an extraordinary actor and, and singer. And uh, uh, yeah, but her death, I think, is, um, I, I mean, it nearly, I'm not really, as a conductor, I'm not really, it's not really great for me to have feelings during the show. Like, mm -hmm. I can wait until after, but it takes a lot not to. Um, so I know that if I'm having that much trouble with it, then I, I'm assuming that everyone else is probably having feelings too. There's also a wonderful uh, duet uh, between her and uh, Fran. It's the top one right here. Okay. So he's uh, he's Rodolfo. They're the central couple of the mm -hmm. show, um, and they they sing a duet at the end of Act One, also Ave Fanciulla in the Italian. Um, oh yeah, I. I <laughs> The, I only say that because some people might know that. Some people might, might know that, yes. Um, but it's it's just, um, Puccini, uh, he's just so good at capturing the moment, like when you when you see someone and, and your heart just kind of, you know, flutters. It's He, he has that in the music in it. Um, it's just an amazing moment. And they do, they're doing such a great job with it. Like, it's it's really fantastic stuff. It sounds it. And I have to tell you that uh, I, without the experience and training of all of, of you folks who are involved, I find that Mimi's character is so, so very sad because mm -hmm. she has that lightness that, you know, she wants to live so much, and uh, it, which makes it doubly hard when, uh -huh. when she is lost at the yeah. end. And One of the, I think there's something, really interesting about her death too in that um uh she it puccini doesn't actually mark in the score the precise moment where she dies and um the friends don't actually notice that she's dead for some time until after she's been dead for a little while it's a very interesting effect and what happens is that the audience kind of realizes that oh she's not breathing anymore mm. and then everyone kind of gradually becomes aware of her and it's really it's it's intense it's um it's fantastic and sad but it's good stuff it also is uh in addition to these very vivid emotions it's also approachable because your running time is what it's uh 
I don't want to quote this, but it's just under two hours. With okay, which for an opera is is uh, is brief, yeah. you know. And it'll feel um, much faster, I think. <laughs> I was telling Joe that once, as a gift to my husband, I went to see the simulcast of. Um, thank goodness they had wine because it was six and a half hours with the uh, yeah. with the breaks, and although it's absolutely gorgeous, you get to a point where you can only have so much cream. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was wonderful to see uh, the conductor in the pit and and. Uh, all of those things, but uh, now here's the thing, though. At the very end, there were tears standing in his eyes, and I thought I would do it all again because oh. you know that for it to be that moved was really exciting. Yeah, it's. Oh, can I say one quick? Yes, thing about that? absolutely. One thing. One thing to um, think about is that uh, in in those days, that was the closest thing they had to movies. So they would audiences would actually be offended if it wasn't long enough. They would feel like they hadn't gotten their money's worth. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so um, that is part of why things tend to run long. Um, I will say that Tristan and Isolde is very, very long, even by opera standards, and it's um, it's a lot to sit there. It takes real dedication. But <laughs> I think is, you need a little, don't don't start there. You know, start <laughs> yeah, with no. something like La Boheme exactly, or yeah. Carmen, which is so catchy that you'll mm -hmm. find yourself. Uh, humming it, you know, and let's see. Oh, we have five minutes left. I thought we had a call. Um, but is there anything I haven't asked you about in terms of, you know, we're not really talking about training opera singers as much as we're talking about training ourselves to have an open heart, an mm -hmm. open mind. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Like, if you, you know, for anyone that likes, you know, if you like art and other forms, if you like paintings or books, um, Opera is some of the best stuff that we, you know, have in our culture, and it's it's very beautiful, and people love it for that reason. Um, there are a lot of, I think, unfortunate conventions that are built around it that have helped to make it less accessible to people. Mm -hmm. um, a little classist at times. Very, very classist, extremely classist. And um, at Opera Theater Cape Cod, we're, we're dedicated to doing what we can to get rid of that. Um, and I think... I, I think also that the larger opera world is somewhat coming around to this. It's a you know it's a gradual shift, um, but you know come come and see it and and see if you like it. You know it's you you never know. It's, it takes a few times. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the first time you'll be wanting to tell whoever you're with that you'll see them at the bar afterwards. <laughs> but I I think that when you um, listen over and over and become more familiar with the music. Uh, at least for me, that's one of the things that works. And I, um, when when I go to see a play, I try to uh, read it beforehand. Do you recommend that people try to listen to the opera a little? You know, it really depends on the individual. Um, I think a lot of people find it uh, find it helpful to have a way in to mm -hmm. know kind of what the landmarks are. Some people, um, I'm actually one of these people, like to come in with a completely blank slate, mm -hmm. slate and not even know what's going on. Hopefully, I didn't spoil too much by telling her that. The yeah, I was I was worried about that too, but it's so well known that, I that it's uh, well, it's and we apologize well. if you did not know that. Uh, we have a comment uh, um, from Karen Watkins. It says Puccini never marks in score exact moment of death. Intriguing choice for uh, reinforcing the impact. It is. Uh -huh. I, there's like a blank spot there where yeah. uh, I remember from the opera. But, uh, well, we hope that uh, we've brought 
a little bit of understanding and and um, and you know the other thing I was just going to say too is that that you don't have to wear a tuxedo. No, <laughs> right? I'm not. I'm not even wearing a tux. I'll oh, wear okay. I'll wear a suit, but not a tux. <laughs> Because this is something, this is something enjoyable. Um, if you think of it as, uh, w when was it written? What? Oh, I should know the year. It's in the 1890s. I think like 1893. So in 1893, this would have been like going to the movies, except the there'd be no screen. There'd be actual people, and um, bringing that immediacy back in the black box theater, which is very small. How um, how many does that seat? Uh, about? Another thing I should know. I think it's about 180. I want to say. Yeah, about 180 people. You're up close, and uh, and the music just fills the whole space. If you have a chance, check it out, and check us out next week. Um, you can watch this at CapeCodTimes.com/slash/LifeWithGwen, or you can just uh, put it um, the word podcast after that, and it'll come into your your radio if you want to listen on the road. We so enjoy having you. Thanks for joining us, and we really enjoyed learning more about the opera. Thank uh -huh. you for coming. Thank you for having me.